people said, Amen. Amen, and you may be seated. As I said a few weeks ago, we're singing through the 50 of my favorite hymns. And uh, that's a newer hymn, but my, isn't it, isn't it a great hymn? We're still in Mark chapter 8, finishing up that chapter this morning. We continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. This morning we'll be looking at verses 33, 34 through 38. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. As always, remember, as we read, this is the Word of the living God. And he that is summoned, that is Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And forfeit his soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for these times together on your day in your house with your people. And now, Father, with your word. We've sung and we've prayed and we've read and we've had professions of faith. But Father, now we come to a time where you speak to us through your word, and I pray that I might be an able instrument today, able to communicate effectively the truth of your word. And I pray again, as always, the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, that you would guide us and direct us in the truth, because the truth is found in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. One day late in his ministry, Jesus was alone with the 12 apostles. And James and John came up to him and they said, uh, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus said, okay, what is it? What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, well, we want you to sit in your glory. We want you to let us sit with you in your glory. One of us wants to be on your right and the other on your left. See, James and John had a problem. And their problem was they misunderstood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They misunderstood what it meant to be a Christian. They thought that following Jesus meant being given some high status or position of honor. 
You know, it's still a common misconception today, isn't it? That's especially the image that is given today in what I, I like to call a very prominent Christian subculture. It's the people that you see on the TV. When you turn on the TV at kind of odd hours, early in the morning, late at night. People who give you the impression that being a Christian involves financial prosperity, being healed from all your ailments, being delivered from all your troubles. Oh, they do add toward the end that it does help. If you want those blessings, it does help to send the preacher a check. Now, there are great blessings in being a Christian. There are rich, rich rewards given to us as the children of God, as those who trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. There's no doubt about that. But, but, but my dear friends, being a Christian is not living on flowery beds of ease. It's not necessarily having all kinds of material things or having everything in life go your way. No, there is a cost. There is a cost in being a Christian. And it's not just a financial cost. This passed among you every Lord's Day to take up the offering. It's not just a financial cost. It's a personal cost. There is a personal price, a personal cost you must pay in order to be a follower of Jesus. See, the truth is that when you come to Jesus for salvation, all your troubles don't suddenly vanish. In fact, sometimes it is when you become a Christian that your real troubles begin. And that's what Jesus is stressing in the verses before us in this particular passage this morning. You know, in the section just before this that we looked at last week, verses 27 through 33, we saw what is known as Peter's great confession. You know, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said for the 12, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he gave the exact correct answer. And for that, he was blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There, Jesus was saying what you have to know in order to enter the kingdom. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. We had two children here this morning pressing, professing the faith that they have entered into the kingdom of God. That's all we must know to enter the kingdom, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. What Jesus is dealing with in our passage this morning is what you must know to live. Truly to live as one who follows the Lord Jesus Christ, who truly gives your life for him. As I told them earlier, as one who walks, who walks in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just two things from this text this morning. Two basic points I want you to bring for your consideration. 
First is that in this passage, Jesus gives us what I would call the essential marks of a Christian. He tells us just frankly what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a follower of Jesus, how you can know, how you can know that you really have trusted in him and given your life to him. Now, this is not something hidden away in the text. This is not some uh, something mined from the deep recesses of God's word. This is something that's right here in the text that Jesus tells us very frankly and very plainly. In verse 34, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, there are three things he must do. Three things. What are those three things? The first one is you must deny yourself. Jesus says it plainly. Verse 34, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, not he ought to, he might, he could, he must deny himself. What does that mean? It means that you say goodbye, good riddance, once and for all to your old self. You must separate yourself as best you can from what used to characterize your life before you became a Christian. You know, Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. If you turn over with me to Colossians chapter 3 for just a second. In verses 9 and 10, Paul says this, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's self-denial, denying what you were and embracing now what you are in Christ. Self-denial does not necessarily mean that you must deny yourself things. It doesn't mean that you must sell all that you have and give it to the poor. It doesn't mean that you must live your life in poverty. It doesn't mean that you can't have fun or do fun things, that you cannot enjoy the blessings of God and the bounty of his goodness. No, essentially, when you deny yourself, you deny a reliance on yourself for salvation, and you deny yourself anything that is incompatible with salvation. By nature, we have two basic problems. One is that we have this insidious sense of self-reliance. There is within each of us some sense that we can do it ourselves. That we can make it on our own. That somehow we can, by our own efforts, by our own good works, make ourselves good enough that God will look down upon us with favor and embrace us, receive us 
into his kingdom. Denying yourself is coming into grips with the fact that you just can't. It is denying this sense of self-reliance, realizing that you cannot enter the kingdom based on who you are or what you have done. It's a denial of self-reliance and acceptance of complete and total reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that plagues us is a love of sin. Anybody struggle with that besides me? Love of sin? See, to deny yourself is to turn away from what does not please God and to turn to what does please Him. It is to deny yourself what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Denying yourself is denying conformity to this world. Allowing yourself to be transformed by the mind of Christ. I would suppose that it's Paul himself who gives us the best example of what self-denial means. You know, before his conversion, Paul, he was then known, of course, as Saul, was deeply committed to the Jewish faith. Now, he wasn't just another Jew. And Paul had worked himself up the ladder to where he held a position of prominence and influence in the Jewish religious community. I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 for a few minutes. For Paul basically gives his own personal testimony. Philippians chapter 3. Notice what he says of himself before his conversion, beginning with verse 5 into verse 6. I was circumcised the eighth day, he says, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. If there's anyone who had the credentials to be entered into a spiritual who's who, it was Saul. If there's anyone who had the right stuff from the world's eyes, it was Saul. If there's anyone who could point to what he had done and maintain any hope that God would accept him and embrace him based on his own works, his own efforts at keeping the law, it was Paul. That's what he says of himself there in verse 4, into verse 4. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. But notice what Paul goes on to say about all of that, beginning with verse 7. But, he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ 
He uses the word lost there twice. I think it's the same concept that Jesus is referring to here in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, about denying yourself. You've got to count all that you mustered on your own as loss. You must deny yourself the privilege of owning it and thinking in any way that can merit you eternal life or salvation. That's what it means to deny yourself. There's another thing Jesus says you must do in verse 34. You must take up your cross. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. You know what Jesus means there? You have to understand something about the significance of the cross. You know, the cross wasn't just a form of execution. The cross was a form of shame, of scorn, of ridicule. You know, when men were to be crucified on a cross as Jesus was, they were forced to carry the cross to the place of execution. The carrying of the cross was a, was a form of, of scorn, of ridicule, of making this condemned person bear himself the very instrument by which he would die. Those who were executed on a cross were forced to carry it. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to voluntarily, voluntarily take up your cross. That is, you have to voluntarily be willing to suffer shame, ridicule, mocking on his behalf. You know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, people have all different ideas of what it means to to take up your cross, to bear a cross, carry a cross. Some people call any sort of affliction they have in life the cross that they have to bear. Maybe arthritis or loss of hearing or a nosy neighbor. They'll say, that's my cross. I've I've got this cross I've got to bear. That's not what Jesus means here. He's talking about suffering because of your relationship with him. Suffering because of righteousness. Suffering because of a stand you have taken to live for him no matter what. Some of you in here may have strained relationships with your family, extended family, because of your commitment to Christ. Some of you may have been essentially disowned by your family because you love Jesus. That that is bearing your cross. Some of you have lost close friends. Some of you are lonely today because you have committed to living your life for Jesus. That's taking up the cross. Some of you are ridiculed at work, made fun of at school, talked about behind your back, what Jesus means about taking up your cross. Still one of the basic characteristic, one other thing you must do if you're a follower of Jesus, and that is to follow him. 
Again, he says in verse 34, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To follow Jesus means to do just that. It means to follow in his footsteps, to go in the way that Jesus would go, to do things that Jesus would do, to live in the way that Jesus would live, to follow Jesus is to seek his will in your life at every turn, asking, as I told the children a moment ago, what is it you want me to do today? How do you want me to live today? How can my life reflect who you are and what you want from your children today? It doesn't mean just following him for a little while. And then going back to your old ways doesn't mean that you follow him when it's convenient, when it's popular, when others are looking. No, it means you follow him every day of your life in public and in private, making him and his will the most important priority. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus tells us it means to, to deny yourself Take up your cross and follow him. He summarizes that in verse 35, where he says, Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus is simply saying that you can't save yourself. The more you try to save yourself, the more you're going to fail. If you try to save your life on your own you'll lose it but if you lose your life for Christ you'll save it you see salvation isn't something you achieve it is something you receive we must lose ourselves in Jesus we must give ourselves completely and wholly unto him so that's the first point this morning this basic characteristic of what it means to be a Christian. But then in the second place, there are two very basic principles Jesus gives us here. If you're going to be one who follows Jesus in this way, and one is that you understand the value of your soul. It is odd, but even among Christians... One of the, of the greatest misunderstandings is the value of your soul. You know, we say it kind of glibly sometimes, but it is a profound truth. Your soul is the most valuable, precious possession that you have. Out of all that you are, out of all that you can do, out of all that you have, there is one thing, one thing only that you're going to take from this life into the next, and that is your soul. I would say that the care and the keeping of the soul is a very important thing, wouldn't you? Jesus tells us here in verse 36, very familiar 
question that Jesus asked, what is it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Jesus is talking about cost and benefit here. What does it profit you if you basically spend your soul to get everything this world has to offer? What does it profit you to gain everything this world has to provide and yet in the process you lose your soul? Our whole lives really are kind of based on this whole principle of cost and benefits. You go to the grocery store, say, well, I want to cook a steak for Memorial Day. You pick up a particular cut of meat and you look at the price and you say, ooh, it's not worth that. The benefit of having that meat for that meal is worth what it's going to cost. Go to buy a new car and or you see that shiny, new, sporty car, and they imagine that's the one I want to have, and then you go closer and you get a little sticker shock. And you think, you know, I'm just not sure that's worth that. And so you wander over to the used car lot. You see the smell of that new car and the shiny new paint just isn't quite worth what you're going to have to pay for it. Here Jesus is applying, applying that principle to spiritual things. What are you willing to pay to lose your soul? Is your soul worth a few more things, a few more toys, a few more experiences? Is it worth forfeiting your soul to enjoy more of what this life has to offer. That's what Jesus asks in the next verse, in verse 36. What will a man give? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answer of the believer is, there is absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing I would give in exchange for my soul. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, you can give me that would cause me to forfeit my own soul because I understand the value of my soul. And when someday, as will happen, I close my eyes in death and my heart stops beating and my lungs stop breathing and this physical body is cold and dead the one thing, the one thing, the only thing that will matter is the condition of my soul. We all take a lot of time, don't we? Making sure we're all prim and proper. Making sure we just dress just right. You know, every Sunday I make sure my tie is just as right as I can get it and it's not supposed to be too far over my belt it's not supposed to be over here like a napkin you know I take great care about how I appear to you and sometimes I take more care about that than I do about my soul and if you're honest you're the same way 
What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his soul, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then the other important principle that Jesus gives us that we must understand is that you're to be unashamed of Jesus. That is, you're not to be embarrassed by your relationship to him and your commitment to him. You ever seen a recently engaged lady who was embarrassed to tell anyone about her newfound relationship with her fiance? You know, if she doesn't go running up to tell you the good news, I've been engaged. She's going to stick that hand out there somewhere. You can see the, you can see the ring and you're going to ask about it. There's no embarrassment there. Be no embarrassment about a relationship with Jesus. If indeed it means that much to you. If you really understand the value of the soul and what Jesus did to save your soul, you'll be eager to talk about it and tell others what he's done for you. There's a, there's a cost-benefit relationship here also. Notice what Jesus says in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I kind of read that quickly, but let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of you. If you are ashamed to tell others that you know me, then I'll be ashamed to tell my father I know you. In fact, he says in Matthew 7, what I will say at that moment is, depart from me, I never knew you. And Jesus shows in the text, he understands, folks, that it would be a difficult thing. There are, there are times when it's difficult. To live out Mark 8, 38, sometimes is hard because notice in the context, Jesus says we are to live this out. It is, he says, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Even those who don't agree, around those who don't agree with you, who don't understand you, who think you're crazy. You are to be unashamed. Unashamed of your relationship with Jesus. Now, is, is that true today or what? You know, Jesus is true. It was a sinful and adulterous generation then. Folks, what does the Bible say? There's nothing new under the sun. We live in a sinful and adulterous generation today. You got any question about it, ask some of these college students. They see it every, every weekend. It is increasingly less popular and acceptable in our society to take a stand for Jesus and his word. It is becoming more and more unpopular to be a Christian today. The question is, are you willing to take a stand for Jesus without shame? 
You know, it's easy to tell. Are you, are you embarrassed to tell others about Jesus? Are you afraid to mention his name around your friends? Let me get real personal. In a restaurant, do you look around to see who's looking for you, bow your head to say, the, say a blessing? Are you ashamed to say, I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't watch that because of my relationship with Jesus. Look, I, I didn't make that up, folks. It's right here in the Bible. It's what Jesus says. If you are ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of you. It's a very important understanding to have. You know, there is a cost in discipleship. Your, your salvation is free. Make no mistake about that. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It is a gift of God, not deserved, not earned, not merited. It is free, absolutely free. But folks, there is a cost. There is a price to pay in being a Christian. You've got to deny yourself some things. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to understand the value, the importance of your soul. And ask yourself, what am I willing to, to give in exchange for it? And you've got to be unashamed, willing to take it for Jesus. Folks, he took it for you. And your life will demonstrate whether or not you really are following him. It's a personal thing. We all have to ask ourselves, am I really a disciple of Jesus? It's a corporate thing. As a body of believers, are we living as a church the gospel? Are we living as those who truly deny themselves, who take up their cross daily, who follow Jesus, who understand the value of a soul, who are unashamed? In a sinful and adulterous generation that doesn't give a hoot about what we're doing here, are we unashamed of Jesus and his word? God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. and We pray for your blessing upon this time in it that we would apply the truth. We would not just know it, but we would live it. Not be just hearers, but doers. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, which is great as thy faithfulness. <laughs>